there. I will not walk in front of the mic again. Can you can you turn me down just a little bit, Will? I am. Aren't you glad you're here? Yeah, can you turn me down a lot? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, you don't have to mute it. Just, just pull me down a little bit. Actually, yeah, Noah's going to help. Because I'm, I'm whistling. I can hear it. It's like I'm calling whales. There we go. It's like there's a sperm well outside somewhere <laughs> looking for a mate. Um, all right. I, I don't hear the whistle now. That's better, right? Do you guys hear it? What's up? <laughs> all right. So um, we are going through the gospel according to Mark. And this is my fifth, excuse me, fourth recording device for the night because uh, we very rarely... Uh, have trouble with recording, and actually the podcast is listened to more than you would think. And then the the I need six times where I actually need the recordings, and it started two weeks ago. In the past two weeks, the recordings have messed up each week. Uh, so thankfully, I had a backup this this week. I actually have four, uh, excuse me, three backups. Um, so if you would turn in your Bible, uh, the Tapestry Bibles is page seven twenty one, I believe. Uh, it's going to appear behind me. Um, if you're in your own Bible, it is the 14th chapter of the gospel according to Mark. We're going to start at verse 10 and we're going to read through uh, verse 21. And then also the scriptures should be on the piece of paper. So, I'm sorry, it's 720, not 21. This is what the word of the Lord says. Then Judas Iscariot. One of the twelve went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and find a man carrying a jar of water. Excuse me. And and go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house uh, he enters. The the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as as it is written about Him. But woe to the one who betrays the Son of Man. It is better for Him if if He had not been born. Now, guys, we're going to talk a little bit 
And most of this comes out of a Jewish holiday known as the Passover, which I have mentioned before. Many of you know about it. Some of you actually may have participated in it before. If you've ever participated in a Sadar meal, that is the Paschal meal or the Passover meal. Uh, and it's very symbolic. And it is ancient. So this is you know, a recreation of that. I like to think it's photographic evidence of it. But honestly, they didn't have cameras then. Uh, so instead, it's a painting. And Jesus honestly did not look like any of those people, because those are all very European people, and Jesus wasn't European. Are you stretching your arms, or were you? Did you have something, Aaron? Okay, that's what I thought, but I wanted to make sure. So, this is a very specific event that is happening, and preparations are a big part of this, uh, and and it is essential to Jewish nature, not just then, but now. And it has to do with this. It has to do with remembering the Passover. Now, you can go back and read the whole story of the Passover. But realistically, the essence of how you're supposed to celebrate the Passover is found in uh, the 12th chapter of Exodus, where God says, this is how you are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On the same night, I will, uh, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the, house, uh, on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. I will pass over you. God has chosen this insignificant people who were slaves, who were calling out for help. He had chosen them earlier and he is now redeeming them. And part of the redemption, part of freeing them from slavery is passing over because Moses would go to Pharaoh and God had said his heart was hardened that God knew that Pharaoh was not going to respond. But Moses went and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh would not let their people go. So ultimately, God kicks into vengeance. And he says to all those who will do this, not just Jews, but all those. There were non-Jews who did this also. If you read, Exodus is fascinating because there are Egyptians who join the Israelites in leaving Egypt because they trust in God. But God goes to set his people free. And after he sets his people free, he tells them to remember this, to remember this, to remember this, and to do this over and over and over and over again. The Passover is completely about remembering. And it's hugely significant that the events of the Passion Week, the events of the week that Jesus dies and is resurrected, those events happen during the Passover. Because we should remember. Because he was the fulfillment of everything that Israel had been trying to remember. They had been delivered and that delivery meant that they would be delivered. Moses was not the ultimate deliverer. He was just the first one, the sign who pointed to the ultimate deliverer. And so the Passover said, God has saved us. God is going to save us. So this happens on the night of the Passover, when they have gone to prepare a great deal of stuff to remember. And I think we're supposed to remember some new stuff. Now, we're going to hit on something that we're barely going to talk about uh, because they did things just to remember. And I want to talk about something that I don't think that... I think it's very important, but this is not the point of this passage at this time. And it is this. 
Well, actually, it's not this. These are the questions. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm messing up. The Passover is based off of four questions. Now, if you count real quick, you're going to notice something. Yeah, those are five questions. The reason it's called the four questions is because the first question is what all the other questions are based off of, okay? If you think back again on that, the first question is, why is this night different from all other nights? And then everything else is like, on all other nights we do this, why do we just do this tonight? Because in his deliverance, God had changed everything. And in the deliverance that would come, the ultimate deliverance, he was going to change everything Again, he was going to change it and make it final. He was going to actually bring true deliverance, not just a temporary deliverance, but a true deliverance at that time. So, what are we supposed to remember? Now, this is important, but I don't think this is what we're supposed to remember at this time, okay? And that is, there's a couple of different references here in this passage of Scripture that deal with God knowing stuff beforehand. One of those might be Jesus saying there's a man... Uh, who's going to be walking with a jar of water. We don't know that. Okay? I try not to specifically put stuff into Scripture when it's not there. This could have been Jesus knowing foreknowledge beforehand. This could have been Jesus going, hey, I've worked this plan out beforehand. We don't know because it doesn't specifically say. There are times in Scripture where we know Jesus has foreknowledge, and there are other times where we don't know. This could have been a plan Jesus had worked out uh, because it is unusual for a man to be carrying a water jar. For him to be carrying a water skin is different, but a water jar would have been for carrying water into a, a facility. Um, we don't know. But there's several different references, such as the one behind me. It, it is written. This is going to happen. See, in religion, but in life, there is a huge debate that goes on constantly. Over and over and over and over again. It is not just religion-based. It is also science-based. Uh, some of you as students have studied this. Some of you have theories in life on this, okay? And it is basically whether or not we are predestined or we have free will. Uh, if you're in science and you hear determinism uh, or nature versus nurture type stuff, determinism versus free will, it's the same argument. Do your genes determine who you are or do uh, the environment in which you grow up determine who you are? It's the same argument over and over and over again but i don't think that's actually what we're supposed to remember from this passage i do not think this passage is meant to be teaching us that jesus had specific uh knowledge at this point okay i do think there are some stuff that's ordained judas was definitely ordained to betray jesus but if you really get picky about it wow y'all are slow (laughs) Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll pick shorter cartoons from now on. But if you really get picky about it, actually all of the disciples were ordained to betray Jesus that night. Because they're going to. By the end of this chapter, by the end of the 14th chapter that we're about to be through, all of the disciples will have run away from Jesus. Two of them would have, will have specifically denied him. One will betray him to people who are searching him out. Will point him out and say, this is the one. And he'll do it with a kiss. But Peter will betray Jesus by denying that he even knows who he is. And he will do it not just once, but he will do it three times. 
And he will do it to a little slave girl. Who, and I, ladies, I don't mean that in, in a bad derogatory way. What I mean is, in her society, her word was useless. And Peter will deny Christ to someone that he had no reason whatsoever to fear. What, were they predestined to do it? Did they have choice? I would say the answer is completely yes. Matter of fact, I will we'll throw this out. I think one of the best arguments, or not arguments, best descriptions of predestination is actually the movie, movie Forrest Gump. If you've ever watched the movie Forrest Gump, you may think, oh, it's just a fun little flick. It is actually an entire film that is on nothing more than predestination or free will. Uh, and think about it. There's two main characters in his life. Don't count Jenny. Jenny's the love interest because we won't go and watch it unless there's a love interest. But there are two main characters that determine his, his life. One is his mom and the other is Lieutenant Dan. And they both represent different things. Okay, neither here nor there. I, I think, realistically, the answer to this situation is that uh, God is 100% in control and we are 100% free at the same time. But I don't think that's what this passage is trying to teach us, okay? It's just there's some elements in there. Was Judas ordained to betray Jesus? Yes. Was Peter ordained to betray Jesus? Yes. Did they choose to betray Jesus? Yes. But I think the word we need to remember from all that is the betrayal. So the Passover comes for us to remember so that we will not forget something. And in this case, the story is basically started with Judas. See, Jesus starts talking and he says that one of the twelve... Now, I've been saying the word disciple here, but realistically, I probably should say apostle because the 12 were not the only disciples. There were lots of disciples. The disciples were anyone who were following Jesus and saying, this is my teacher and I want to, to follow him. But these 12 were these apostles. They were the chosen ones who were the leadership of the early church. They were the ones that everyone else looked to for to follow and to know that they knew what Jesus wanted. And Jesus point blank says... One of the twelve will betray me. One of the twelve will betray me. I think it's fascinating how they respond. Now, first off, this is is predicted again, okay? Which, again, kind of goes back to, is it free will or is it choice? Uh, If you read the 41st Psalm, you're going to actually be able to connect a lot of the story with that. The whole story deals with uh, the Messiah is going to be betrayed, but at the same time, God is going to be victorious at the end. Uh, the Psalms actually relate a lot with what's going on in Passion Week. You want some interesting things? You should read the um, uh, excuse me, some of the Psalms dealing specifically with the crucifixion. Jesus' words on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, are literally a quote. Okay? So it's interesting stuff. But if you read the 41st Psalm, he will be betrayed, but God will win at the same time. And and I'm fascinated by this. How did the disciples respond when Jesus said, one of you will betray me? Yeah, isn't it interesting? Because, Jen, I would have been like, well, it's going to be Jacob. We all know it's going to be Jacob. Or or Amanda's playing with her hair right now. That is a sure sign of somebody who feels, yeah, she just stopped. She's like, nope. (laughs) Right, let's face it. If if I was were to get up here, I was like, somebody will betray Tapestry tonight. We would all kind of have the mindset, like, who's going to be? Who's, Kate's got red hair. 
Everybody knows it may be it may be fake red hair, but it's red hair. <laughs> I know. Everybody knows what redheads do. They lie and cheat. And if you're a fake redhead, that probably makes you worse. <laughs> when you think, guys, they responded with they were saddened and they said, "Surely, not I." They didn't go, no, 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 it's him, it's him. Their concern was, is it me? See, I think the interesting thing is, is that, that Jesus says that we should, not judge, uh, we should not judge others lest we be judged. But the thing is, is the closer we get to Jesus, I think the more difficult it becomes for us to judge. Because when we get closer to God, we realize exactly how far away from him we are. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is from Isaiah 6. And in Isaiah 6, Isaiah, who is a prophet, he is one who speaks for God. And this is not Isaiah 1. This is not the beginning of his ministry. This is later on in his ministry. And he sees God when his cousin dies. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted. King Uzziah was his cousin. And in his grief, this was a king who was loved by his nation. Think of JFK. And what our country went through. And I was not alive then. But I've seen the stories. Think of what it was like. King Uzziah was a loved king. And he was his cousin. And in the midst of his grief. He saw the Lord. And he responds with this. When he sees the Lord. He doesn't respond with this is wonderful. He goes woe is me. Woe is me. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When we see God, we really see who we are. I think that's part of why Jesus says you know, that, that His followers should not judge. is because of the fact that when we get closer and closer to Him, we start responding with, Wow, I'm, I know the evil in my life. Why would I worry about the evil in Drew's life when I know the evil in my life? Surely he's not as bad as I am. One of my favorite experiences with Peter is Peter sees Jesus do a miracle and he responds by saying, Lord, step away from me for I am a sinful man. He doesn't respond with, this is awesome! (laughs) He responds with, you're holy. And let's face it, when we're really honest with each other, we know how bad we are. There's no need for me to point out how bad you are when I really realize how bad I am. See, the disciples don't respond with, it's going to be him. It's going to be her. They respond with, surely it's not I. I wonder. See, the thing with Scripture is it doesn't give us a lot of motives. We honestly don't know why Judas, 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 <laughs> why Judas betrayed Jesus. Now, Scripture describes him as a thief. He may have betrayed Jesus for the money. We don't know. It doesn't go into motives a lot of times. It goes into actions. They may have been saying, well, it might be somebody else, but apparently their first response was, it's not me, is it? Now, after, after they ask that question, I mean, let's face it, it's human nature for us to kind of try and deflect things. Because I might be like, it's not me. And it's not me because it's you. But we don't know. It's not recorded. The interesting thing is, when they say, surely not I, they all actually end up betraying him. 
they all end up betraying him. See, we have two examples that are pretty easy. Judas betrays Jesus in a blatant way. Judas makes money off of betraying Jesus. And I know to us it seems somewhat weird. Why would they need somebody to point out Jesus? If you see, you know, if, if uh, Peyton Manning walks in here, we're all going to know it's Peyton Manning. But it's a different... Okay, apparently a few of us will know that Peyton Manning... Matthew McConaughey walks in here. Some of the girls will know it's Matthew McConaughey. Is that better? At one time, he was Psalm. I did say Psalm. Thank you. You're right. Um, if Santa Claus walks in here, y'all are all trouble. <laughs> trouble, trouble, trouble. And that rhymes with P. No. Um, guys, it's not the same. You have a city that probably went from, from somewhere to, from 50 to 100,000 people to probably around 500,000 people. And now you're trying to pick one person out of that crowd. You have a city that doesn't have uh, electric illumination. So think when you go camping and you go out into the dark. And oh, he's going to be at the Garden of Gethsemane, which is basically an unpopulated site. And it's a dark night. How are you going to know this guy that you really don't know? You hire somebody. Judas betrays Jesus and he makes money off of it. But Peter also betrays Jesus. He's predicted just as well, actually, because you know, Peter goes, oh, I'll be with you when everybody else fails. And instead, Jesus goes, oh, no, 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 I'm so sorry. Uh, the crow's going to, uh, before the, the, the crock, the cock crows, <laughs> the crock, uh, before the crock pot cooks up everything, um, you're going to betray me three times. See, betrayal is what's going on here. Jesus is preparing the Passover so that they will remember that they've been delivered. But at that very moment, he says, oh yeah, you're going to betray me. It's real easy for me to start thinking, oh, I should put myself in in Jesus' shoes. But the reality of the matter is, I probably don't need to put myself in Jesus' shoes. Um, I probably need to put myself in their shoes. Yeah, we've all been betrayed. I mean, I know, I know you've been betrayed. You've had a freaking with Christ and following Him. They should have known Him, uh, known Him perfectly, but they failed. I'll give you a second on that one. They failed. Some of it was failure in, in, in a way where they didn't respond. I know Eric, the computer guy over here, is just like, I don't get it. That is the blue screen of death for Windows. Still don't get it, do you? Okay. <laughs> Actually, that's, to be completely honest, that's why I made it better than the blue screen of death because I thought if I put the real blue screen of death up there, some of you are going to think, oh, the computer broke in the back. It's not. That's an image of the blue screen of death, which is why it's vignetted. <laughs> Guys, sometimes we fail because we just don't do what we should do, and other times we purposely do that which we know we shouldn't. And Scripture is full of people who fail Christ. They sin. They betray Him. It happens over and over and over again. But He uses those who repent. Really, when you get down to it, the difference between Judas and and Simon Peter is not that, that one betrayed Christ and the other didn't because they both betrayed Christ. It is that one thought his sin was so terrible that he had to kill himself and the other came to Jesus And was forgiven. 
Judas never comes back to Christ. Peter, the story is, is that when he sees the resurrected Lord, he throws his clothes off, dumps, dumps, jumps in the water and swims to shore to meet the one that he has betrayed. Judas can't even hold the money that he got for Jesus. He tries to give it back. You, you would think so because you're like, oh, Judas got Jesus killed. But when you really get down to it, Peter denied Jesus at the very moment where he needed him the most. And Jesus predicted that it was going to happen. And the, the, the worst one for me is in the Gospel of John, it says that when uh, Peter denies him the third time and the cock crows, Jesus looks at him. Now, I don't know that Judas would have been forgiven, but it seems completely in nature with Christ. Here's why. If you look in the Old Testament, you'll see story after story. These are two of the biggies. There's this guy named David. Whoops, apparently I did get the blue screen of death. There we go. There's this guy named David. He's king. He's supposed to be the, the one who is the closest to God. Matter of fact, Scripture says that he is a man after God's own heart. And while all his armies are out fighting, and he should have been with his armies, instead he stands on top of, of his castle and he sees a woman who is the wife of another man, one of his generals, bathing. And he goes, well, she's lovely. Bring her to me. And he commits adultery with her, gets her pregnant, tries to get her husband to come back and sleep with her so that he will think it is his son and everyone else will think it was his son. But Uriah is a righteous man and will not do that while his uh, soldiers are out on the field. So instead he sleeps in the doorway. Uh, then the king tries to get him drunk and <laughs> he does kind of succeed in getting him drunk, but he still will not go and sleep with his wife. And ultimately David gets ticked off and he hasn't killed. In a cowardly way. Cowardly. And then pretends like everything's okay. And the reality of the story is, is that God uses a prophet named Nathan to call David out on it. And God does not forsake David. God does not deny David. David repents and he goes, my sin was hurting me. It was crushing me. And when I repented, the Lord forgave. See, God loves to respond to those who repent. Those who call out and go, I know I failed. He loves to use us. There's another story, uh, Jonah and, and the whale. You may have heard it before. But the whole story is about this group of people who should not turn back to God because they don't know God to begin with. The Ninevites are supposed to be the most evil people in the world at the time. And Jonah doesn't want to go there because he knows two things are going to happen. One, they're terrible people. They'll be mean to him. And two, when God hears them repent, he's just going to be like, yeah, okay, that's great. The whole story is about one group of people who are screwing up and they repent and one prophet who's supposed to be the person of God who screws up and doesn't repent. So, on the Passover, we're supposed to remember. 
This is what I think we should remember. See, Scripture says that every, every blasphemy will be forgiven of men except for one. The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that another time. But basically it means, and, and I say it means, okay, this is debatable. I can tell you this, if you're worried that you've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit, it's probably a pretty good guess that you haven't because you wouldn't care about it otherwise. But realistically, I think it's to doubt the power of God for salvation. But he says every sin will be forgiven, which is why I think Judas would have been forgiven. Because he doesn't say every sin except for betraying the Son of Man into the hands of uh, those who wish to kill him. I'm sorry, what? Okay. Okay. Uh, I have no earthly idea what you're saying. I'm I'm just going to go back, okay? (laughs) Every sin. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is this. It's 1 John 1, 9. And it says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, the truth of the matter is, is that all of us, all of us have betrayed God. All of us have betrayed Christ. Sometimes we've betrayed Christ by the way we have treated those who were created in His image. Sometimes we have betrayed Christ by the way we have treated Him. Not you, not me, all of us. Not just your neighbor, not just the person you don't like. All of us have betrayed Christ. Let's be honest. You might be able to think of some specific examples. Don't worry, I don't want to hear them. Because I can think of my own. If you knew the ways that I had betrayed Jesus Christ, you wouldn't be listening to me right now. But that's really okay, because if I knew yours, I wouldn't be talking to you. Guys, we all do it. But Jesus forgives. He cleanses. That's how He responds to repentance. True repentance, where we turn away and we say, I want to follow you. I do not wish to be like what I was what I am. And he takes us. I know some people were raised in churches that basically used to say that, that God would forgive all sins, but some sins he really just never did forgive. I know that sounds stupid because like, oh, God will forgive everything. But the reality of the matter is, is that, you know, well, you know, if you commit this sin, we're going to treat you like this and such. And that's not the way Jesus responded. Jesus takes the one who betrays him to a slave girl, this this man who says, I will die for you before I will betray you, and instead, the weakest person in all of society, not just a slave, but a female slave, goes, oh, aren't you with him? And he goes, oh, I don't even know him. And he curses Jesus' name. He takes that man, and he truly makes him the rock, a.k.a. Peter. Because Jesus works with people who repent. This is, this is actually David talking about how his heart felt from forgiveness. Blessed is he who transgressions, whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit there is, excuse me, is no deceit. See, David knew that God would forgive. 
So before I end and tell you what I really think we should remember, does anybody have anything that needs to be added? That's a good question. What do you think? Well, um, Got a yes. Um, I guess I'm kind of on the fence about okay. that. Because um, what if you really don't think it's a sin? Uh-huh. Hold on one second. I'll come back to you, Kim. Go ahead, Jackie. I do think the Holy Spirit convicts us. There were there are things now that I think are a betrayal of Christ that I did not. And, and I'm using the word betrayal of Christ because sometimes I think we take sin and we turn it into to, you know, certain specific actions. Uh, sin is betraying Christ. It is not doing that which God has told us to do doesn't necessarily mean that that act in and of itself is evil. It's evil because God tells us to do something else and we do the opposite. A.K.A. the fruit that Adam and Eve eat in, uh, in the story of the Garden of Eden. The fruit's not evil. It's their betrayal of Christ that is evil. That's the sin. Uh, so, Kim, you were going to say, and then I'll, I'll throw in. And past that, I would say, you know, there's some things that, that are not necessarily specifically mentioned in the Ten Commandments that are still rebellion against Christ. Does that make sense? I think, it, yeah. I would use our example. We felt like uh, God was calling us up to Wisconsin. If I'd stayed in Louisiana, which there's no way I would have stayed in Louisiana. But if I'd stayed down south, I would have been rebelling against what God asked me to do. I would describe that as sin, yes. Now, here's what I will say. On the repentance, there's a difference between a repentant life and repentance for specific sin. I don't know all the sin I commit all the time. Sometimes I've gotten so used to certain things on treating certain people in certain ways that Jesus might be like, that is against my will, and I didn't even recognize it. But there's a difference in the sense of I am repenting and trying to follow him versus I don't care at all. So here's what I want you to remember, guys. Because Passover was about remembering his deliverance. But I think the, the thing we need to remember right now is that we need to remember that Christ forgives us when we sin against Him and we do sin against Him. 
That He does not hold it against us if we repent, if we come to Him and we say, I want to be like you, and I don't even know how to do that. But will you make me into your image? We need to remember that. We need to live that out. I have talked with many, many people who basically have the mindset of when I get my life straight, then I'll start following God. And it doesn't work that way. One, you'll never get your life straight. Two, you can't do it without God, in my opinion. Remember, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you've betrayed Him. He will forgive you. And He will use you. But also remember, He will do that for your neighbor. And the person who drives you the most nuts... He's not looking at them and going, oh, can't use them. He's looking at them and saying, oh, yeah. I'll do the exact same thing for them that I did for you. I hope you know his forgiveness. I hope you are living in his forgiveness. If not, I hope you know it this week. If you need someone to pray with, there'll be a couple of us in the back. Uh, Pray with me right now and then let's sing. Father... Thank you. Thank you for the times that you have forgiven us and help us to come to you more and more often, uh, recognizing that you will forgive. Forgive me now for the times that I have turned my back on Christ. Forgive me for the times that I have not done your will. Help me to follow you a little better now. I pray this in your name, in the name of your Son. Amen. Guys, please, let's stand and sing.